passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind a Raw. It's John Pollock and the man. Wei Ting, who is here with us, live from Toronto. Hello, Wei. Hello, John. Yes, I'm back. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How was your weekend? How was your your wedding on your not your wedding, but your wedding you were attending on Saturday? Yeah, uh, it was lovely. It was also really hot um, because outdoors? it was a completely outdoor wedding ceremony and reception and. Uh, I was in my suit the whole day, so um, not not the best um, place to be in in like thirty plus degree heat. But all in all, it was like a excellent excellent service. Was it relaxing to not to go and sit back at a wedding? You didn't Completely. have to be the focus. I mean, that's kind of fun. I didn't have to worry about a thing, you know. But I see it on on other people now. Like I see it on on the bride and groom. Like how much they have to worry throughout the whole night. You know, the whole time I I kept trying to remind them to relax and just, you know, eat and just kind of like enjoy the atmosphere. But it's like, I get it. You know, I get it from their perspective, too. They want to make sure everybody's having a good time, um, speeches, all this stuff. So I'm sure they're happy. Like this is again, this is a celebration once it's all over. This was a high school friend. Yeah. All right. Great. Yeah. It is the high school friend, which you actually tried to contact um, for the documentary. Which one? Um, <laughs> it oh, is, you you uh, can't name them. I I can name them, but I I just don't know if I should name the context. So today, um, today I for whatever reason, how often do you check your junk folder? Do you do that a lot? Very rarely, but I I I will will sometimes if I'm looking for something. Yeah. Okay. Extremely rare. I'm talking like maybe twice a year. I check it. Today I checked it. Dude, there were like many messages in there that were of like semi-importance, one of which was someone sending you a message for the, really? the audio thing. And oh. I was like, oh, Christ. <laughs> I responded to this person. They have not responded back yet, but I, I don't think there are any, uh, there's any ill will Well, just, there. just forward it to me. 
you know? I, I said I would stuff. pass it along to you. I mean, the person went to the trouble of recording uh, this for you. I, I have not listened to it, so I'm sure it was a heartfelt message. But uh, anyway, always, I would say ch- check your junk folder once a month. It Sometimes it's helpful. I feel like it's a, man, it's an issue that I feel like we should have gotten over by now. Like, it feels like such a 20-year-old problem. Junk it's, mail, you know? Like, it's typically junk mail, like, it, it catches a ton. Like, when you go through it, it's like, I'm so glad it catches all of this. But, I mean, I found three messages today that were sent over the last 10 days that were actual things being sent to me, news-wise, and then this. So, yeah. Well, um... Thank you for checking your junk mail now and not maybe like five years later. Um, yeah. But you know, that, it's that, like, damn it. Why didn't this person, I can't believe they didn't go to the trouble. This person of, and it's actually someone that's known you for a long, long time. Oh, is that so right? I wouldn't want to create a rift. <laughs> no, no, no rift uh, created, rift averted, I, I guess. But, you know, like it's it's part of the the, the wonderful gesture that you, you provided me with the post profile. Not only did I get a wonderful documentary out of it, but it's given me an excuse to like reconnect with a lot of these people that you happen to contact that sent in something, you know, uh, like an audio clip about me. So I appreciate that very much. I'm a really great person. I think when you peel through all the layers and you get to the core, I think that John Pollock is a really outstanding guy that is going to uh, keep many of your friendships very, uh, into the, the next decade of your life. I think I have prolonged a significant amount of your friendships. You absolutely have. I know you're trying to be sarcastic, but because you don't like compliments, but I mean, this is uh this is actually the the facts, you know? It's a great way of reestablishing connections. Just get a friend to make a documentary about you so that they can contact a number of people. It's a great strategy. I think everyone should implore it. I'm actually looking for this now so I don't forget to send it to you, but I, I will remember at some point. We have a lot to discuss tonight. We are going to get into tonight's edition of Raw. Um, it's always great when I am far behind on raw and I get a text alerting me to what is uh, coming up. And the text I got tonight was a photo of Carrie and cross. It's like, Oh, okay. It's going to be one of those shows. So I, I got, uh, that was the, the heads up that I had a half hour before the, uh, the new look of Carrie and cross. Oh, somebody texted you the, his look in advance of you. Yes, I, got, I got advanced warning. I was about a half hour behind. It was a, I suppose it was text worthy. Carrie and cross's new look. I think so. I think it's, uh, it's a stunning visual. Uh, we are coming off a very busy couple of days here at Post Wrestling. We have our latest shows, including the debut of CM Punk on AEW Rampage on Friday. Uh, the man drove some traffic, I will say that. The man is uh, flying shirts off the walls, ice cream bars, television numbers. Website traffic. I mean, CM Punk has returned to pro wrestling in a big way. Patreon numbers, you know, like we we have interest in this guy to think. I mean, killing our Zoom on Friday. Again, apologies to have, to people who were unable to make it into the room, but I I discovered that we actually have a limit for how many people we can have in a in a Zoom room at one time. So apologies if you are a patron and you tried to get in but couldn't. But the video is up there right now, uh, as is our entire review of AEW Rampage. Yes, and reviews of Rampage will be available every Friday night along with SmackDown, and that is a cafe-exclusive show. So uh, you can look forward to that. We have the SummerSlam post-show from Saturday night. I was joined by Kate from Montreal and Nate Milton as we went through Saturday's show. We'll get some of Way's thoughts as he's had a chance now to see the show. Everyone, I know everyone wants to hear Way's uh, 
takeaways from SummerSlam. And then Brayden and Davey. Takeaways. Takeaways. <laughs> Damn, that was not intentional. Uh, Brayden and Davey had a huge weekend, uh, oh. including the TakeOver post-show. But the real main event, up next summer, uh, may- maybe the best built show of the entire weekend. My new favorite character is without question. There, there's no one to top him. I love this guy, Fire Frank. This guy oh. is just the man. Uh, incorporating me no less into th- this video. I don't know if that was a, a Dickie Bird uh, production decision or not, but this man, Fire Frank, is the world's greatest Bray Wyatt. He's he's better than the original, I would say. And this this yeah. video package was they might have topped themselves with this one. All the video work that went into promoting up next summer, all the promos that went into promoting this event, everybody, I kid you not, like th- this was some of the best promoted stuff I have seen attached to, to, to anything involving wrestling. And I get a personal enjoyment, enjoyment out of it because these are all my friends that are doing it. But um, big shout out to, to Dickie Bird who does some incredible video work. And I believe John Cena had a big hand in coming up with a lot of that stuff too. So maybe you can credit him for uh, the Pollock puppet and Jurassic WH Park. Uh, it was really like excellent, brilliant stuff. The Fire Frank Funhouse, I I was going crazy for. I don't want to even spoil it for everybody, but the replay is up there on twitch.tv slash upnextpodcast and also youtube.com slash upnextpodcast for some of those specific segments, including quite the rap battle between John Ceno, the aforementioned, the man with the Wu-Tang tattoo on his back, and Davey Portman, a guy who I don't even think listens to rap. I don't want to spoil anything, as you mentioned, but I will direct people on over there where, you know, in MMA, a 10-7 round is a unicorn. They're very few and far between, but we might have gotten one here. And I would say there was a very clear-cut winner, and at the end of it, I see no controversy. He was not happy about it. I mean, it was anyway. I, no, no spoilers here. But uh, you will look at Davy Portman in a brand new light. I guarantee it. I, I, I don't imagine I will, uh, I will ever hear his voice and not immediately imagine that he's going to be screaming at the screen in just beautiful rhyming uh, patterns. We got to get you two on a track. No, you know. It, it, does it does it startle you that like the four of us have all actually done rap songs in recorded form now? Uh, I guess I guess we have all we have all crossed that bridge. Uh, some to more success than others. I suppose so. Yes. Anyway, you can check out all of that on their uh, YouTube channel or on Twitch. Uh, they have put up all of Up Next Summer, and now it's uh, I guess back to back to the drawing board. How it's always. Where do they go next? I have no idea. Uh, they have their work cut up for them, but they have shown that they've been able to top themselves every single time. So I look forward to the next one. Uh, some quick mentions for this week. Uh, so this week, I'm giving everyone a great present, and that is going to be my lack of presence. I will not be on many of the shows this week because you know what? <laughs> Flat out, I need a break, folks. I need a break. And Way is stepping up. He is going to be handling Rewind Away and Rewind to SmackDown this week. Uh, but Way, you have very capable co-hosts this week. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, John, you've been working really, really hard these past several weeks, filling in for uh, my absences and 
uh, I'll just, you know, keeping up with their usual stuff. So I'm glad that you're taking some time off this coming weekend. But uh, starting tomorrow, we're going to give the John Knight, uh, uh, the a night off as John Pine and I, an executive producer himself, uh, has chosen to review GCW's Run Ricky Run. This is a pay-per-view from February of 2020. Uh, we've d- never talked about GCW on Rewind Away before, so he is a an avid GCW fan. So this will give us a chance to talk about that promotion, including their main event of Ricky Shane Page taking on Nick Gage, uh, which I'm very excited to talk about. And uh, you know, I, I I don't know how you feel about some of the 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 violent hardcore matches, John, but um, we're gonna maybe shelter your eyes away from it, um, and it'll just be me and John talking about light tubes and death matches. And uh, cheese graters, you know, uh, pizza cutters, who knows what else. Sounds, it sounds like a plan. So check that out. Rewind away. Number 93 coming out on Tuesday. I will be here on Wednesday night with Way for Rewind to Dynamite. We'll be live at 10.15 Eastern time. Thursday, it's MCU Later with J.P. Houlihan joining Way and W.H. Park, where they will be chatting episode three of What If and maybe... Some frame-by-frame analysis of the trailer that everybody is discussing tonight. It just dropped during the middle of Raw tonight. And uh, I've already watched it a few times. I'm sure WH Park. And I'm very excited. JP Hulan. I'm sure they'll have some hot takes about it too. So we, we shall find out if this is WH Park Spider-Man or not. Ooh, that's a tease if there ever was one. And then Friday night, it's Way and Kate will be returning. Uh, they will be handling both SmackDown and Rampage. And then the week will wind up with, or wind down, with WH and Andrew Thompson for a special edition of Post Pro Res on Sunday night, as those two will be chatting all the latest on the Japanese wrestling scene. Uh, a week before New Japan will hold their two shows at the MetLife Dome, and maybe we will have more of uh, rounded out cards for those events come this weekend, because we are looking at uh, pretty slim cards as we are two weeks out from those events. I cannot say that there is a ton of momentum right now as the summer struggle tour is winding down this week and maybe the most um intriguing part of uh the tour that they they put out the remaining cards for this week they're running four straight nights at core Hall. hall so way if we had been there we could have gone tuesday wednesday thursday friday to core Hall. hall but they are introducing the newest young lions kosei fujita and ryohei oiwa they are 19 and 20 years old, and these two, this is going to be very interesting because this is going to dovetail into our next discussion about um, talent development. These two were part of the tryouts in December, and they have only been training a couple of months in the New Japan Dojo, and they're debuting. So it's going to be very interesting to see how how um, ready they are on day one and in a couple of hours, you're going to get to see their, their first matches in a new Japan ring in front of a crowd. That is actually one of the more like exciting things about perhaps new Japan this year is the debuts of, of two potential, you know, longtime features in this company. Um, it's always really cool to like follow the progress and getting to see their day one uh, mm-hmm. levels is, is something that is definitely of interest. Yeah, they both have amateur wrestling backgrounds, and they'll be doing singles matches all week long. And to me, it's actually the most intriguing part of this week. Friday's also got uh, Hiromu Takahashi's first match back since the pec tear. He'll be taking on a Doki. So that's kind of some of the highlights there. But let's start off actually with the uh, the Rampage number. That's the biggest story today. Blowing away 
expectations with I think we could sense over the weekend uh, Dave Meltzer was reporting how some of the markets were performing that I think people were uh, heightening the 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 ceiling of what the debut was going to do but these were still to me stunning numbers to see come out today 1,129,000 viewers uh, for the program 692,000 in the 18 to 49 demo uh, these figures um, that we'll be citing here coming from Brandon Thurston at WrestleNomics Showbuzz Daily also uh, reporting some of these figures um, Brandon noting that the punk segment did 1,341,000 viewers 842 thousand viewers Uh, to put this into perspective and this is phenomenal rampage beats smackdown in men 18 to 49 adults 18 to 34 men and women 18 to 34 and men 35 to 49 that's comparing cable to network and the millions more homes that fox is in that is a stunning feat for rampage to accomplish and eight o'clock prime time to 10 p.m on a friday Yes. I mean, we could go on here. Um, Meltzer noting that in Chicago, the punk segment did a 1.7 in 18 to 49. Um, This was as (laughs) this was a grand slam, whatever you want to characterize it as this was uh, just through the roof. Um, And they are totally going to ride some of this momentum, maybe even more of it going into Dynamite on Wednesday, where in theory, um, they could replicate a number like this, I think, with all of this buzz coming off of it. But, uh, you know, I I think, Wade, that this certainly above what we expected, certainly what I expected. Yeah, I thought, like, you know, 900 would have been a real healthy number, um, probably on the higher side of predictions. But this completely blew away even those pretty lofty goals. And it just carries on the trend of, I think, AEW continuing to over-delivering. And when I say AEW, I, I don't necessarily just mean AEW. I mean it's extremely dedicated audience that no matter where you put these shows no matter how little you actually state uh, about the card that's coming up um they have tremendous trust and they're aware uh, of, of whatever this this company is trying to promote when it's when it's coming out and they showed up in droves i mean even at this wedding i went to over the weekend i mean that was much of the talk of the many laps wrestling fans that attended people that i used to talk about wrestling with in high school um coming back out and they came up about, to the booker hey. to ask him <laughs> yes they did yes they did yeah uh talking about cm punk so it was uh certainly the talk of the wrestling world and i think you know this monday continues to be the talk of the wrestling world and uh you know going into friday i think some of us were wondering hmm like if they they're they're certainly like gambling a little bit here not not in the what you know putting punk on rampage but maybe by not mentioning him more by not by not hitting the the, the port home a, a bit harder to drive some of those casual viewers in and seemingly i think it completely paid off what they exactly did and it was really interesting maybe hearing some punk's comments afterwards too talking about how they were willing to sacrifice maybe a bit of rating for that big reaction live and it completely paid off. You can't look at these results and think that any of it was the wrong decision. They filled the United Center on top of getting some of their best ratings of the year for a brand new time slot. Yeah, I I really can't um, criticize the promotion of how they went about this because to the audience that was aware, they knew. And I think there was like a little bit of intrigue of like that. They haven't flat out said it, but 
at the same time, I mean, they never denied it. Tony Khan, I mean, as much as he could, winked right at the audience multiple times. And on Friday, I mean, said as much as he was going to that I'm not going to disappoint the audience of what they're expecting. And I think that this is going to only pay dividends in the future that AEW will have more than the benefit of the doubt that here was the greatest surprise they could deliver and did so and led you along the way that still gave you that somewhat of a, there was still the, like, I think the shock that many people you heard say until he walks out, I'm not going to believe it. So you still had, if you were even the biggest pessimist of watching it with slight intrigue of, is he actually going to be here? It's very much like, you know, the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer. I mean, I feel like a good chunk of the audience knows exactly what surprises are in store for uh, this movie and who the special surprise uh, stars and cameos will be. But nonetheless, seeing confirmation of some of those things in the new trailer uh, just has everybody going crazy. Now, AEW had the extra benefit of being able to sell tickets to people watching this reveal for the first time so i think they more than capitalized on it um it, you know in terms of maximizing its value while still maintaining the surprise for the hardcore audience pretty damn well so um hey like great lesson learned here like man it's it's just it, it, they go against i think so many lessons typically you know presented in, in wrestling promotion and uh continues to break new ground it's also i mean this is the grandest example of it but you can even um slice it down into just so many examples of the value of that hometown star. Like mm -hmm. CM Punk was already a very revered figure in Chicago. And you had such unique circumstances of the long hiatus from wrestling that culminated in Friday. But are you telling me that any return business to Chicago is not going to be greatly benefited by how they've handled Britt Baker in Pittsburgh and Punk in Chicago and Guevara in Houston. And it's just, you create these stars that are specific to markets and it just to me like as a fa if you were a fan and opted not to go to the united center and you watch that it's just so many of these shows they're commercials for the next one that my god i want to be part of this crowd you want to be part of that and with chicago it just feels like that will be AEW and it it has been it's been their home market from their inception and now it feels that the now arena just feels like such a smaller venue that they can run so much bigger, like United Center at minimum when they come back, uh, whenever that is down the road. I feel like a future target is even beyond these, you know, and looking towards a stadium. I mean, if you're going to do a stadium show, I feel like Chicago would be one of those markets that has proven that has that, you know, that it would have an appetite big enough or at least, you know, be a destination that is large enough for people to travel to fill something larger than that. So to me, that's the next frontier for this company. Uh, just a few other ratings notes in Canada. So the show aired live on TSN Direct from 10 till 11. The TSN 2 airing at 11 p.m. So this was on a one hour delay. Did 107,900 viewers, 75,000 in the 18 to 49 demo, which is SmackDown in Canada, which was live, uh, did more viewers. They did almost 158,000, but they were almost neck and neck in the demo. Uh, SmackDown did 76.6 in the demo. So that's on the delay. And I don't have access to the streaming numbers, but you have to imagine, way that they were significant 
of the audience that was not going to wait until 11 o'clock uh, to watch that. So that was very noteworthy that they did so well on a one-hour delay. And they're going to replay the first dance on Wednesday as a lead-in for Dynamite. Sorry to cut you off, but you know, not only is it on a delay, but it is the first time that it is, a- it is actually airing in that time slot in That's Canada. Right. Yep. Last week, we didn't get Rampage on TV. So this is a completely foreign time for people to, to figure out on their own through very little promotion. I mean, no promotion, honestly, on their TV um, and still doing that number. It's, again, pretty surprising. And the final thing is that this CM Punk shirt has just uh, like pro wrestling tees. It has it has shattered their records. Um Apparently, they have scooped up every available ringer tee in North America to fulfill these orders. I like I just cannot like pro wrestling tees is a giant to begin with. I cannot imagine what the success of this is taking that company into just another level. It feels like as well, just off of this weekend, like their site every time I checked was down over this weekend. I cannot imagine the orders that they're trying to fulfill at this point. But it is, and um, uh, a shout out to a friend of the show, Stank from the PWT cast, who designed the shirt. Yes, yes, as as a CM, um, what is it, a, a Scrump? I call him. I call. I was about to call him CM Scrump because that's his Twitter handle. But as uh, Scrump alluded to, I mean, uh, I don't think like Stank gets enough love for like the amount of graphics work he's done. I believe he's like been responsible for a lot of the things that we have seen on people's bodies. And, you know, he tweeted it out very briefly, but like um, they had the CM Punk logo that he designed plastered all over the United Center as people were leaving that building. And I just I can't imagine the thrill of seeing something that, you know, from your mind on on your computer screen being shown on 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 such a big stage, you know, and now on so many people's chests. It's just. Uh yeah, I'm incredibly incredibly happy for them. I, I urge everybody to go check out the uh, PWT, PWT cast this week for some behind the scenes info. And SmackDown on Friday uh, from eight till ten did two two million one hundred two thousand seven hundred thirty eight thousand in the eighteen to forty nine demo. Um, in line with what they've been doing uh, the last four weeks, and pretty much you know not too many changes from the week prior. This featuring the Cena Reigns promo. Uh, it didn't. It did not um, get any kind of a surge. Like there wasn't this big amount of wrestling fans that were tuning in on Friday because of Punk that maybe were going to sample SmackDown, but nonetheless, still you know a healthy, normal SmackDown number on the eve of SummerSlam. The other notable uh, thing to talk about here is the 23-minute and change interview that Ariel Hawani did with. WWE President and Chief Revenue Officer Nick Khan for BT Sport. This was conducted on Friday, and then they released it on Sunday. And there was a lot of news in this. Uh, some of the highlights being uh, Nick Khan confirming that there would be a complete revamp to NXT in the coming weeks. And I, I think like we should separate because these kind of bled into one another. It sounds like the complete revamp is more an aesthetic change that we're going to see to NXT from the production side of things. Uh, But then he kind of went into sort of their talent recruitment philosophy and wanting to make it more of a streamlined process of bringing in big athletes and transitioning them into the system in an easier way than I guess was doing uh, previously. And he went so far as to like, 
used the term like indie wrestlers that have come in through our system that are now in Raw, on SmackDown, and they don't want to just be doing that. And I didn't take that line to mean we're excommunicating ourselves from the independent scene, but I do think like this is a reevaluation of who are going to be stars for us. And I think you can look at all of the cuts and different ages that were let go, different sizes that we're going to let go. And I think that that philosophy is going to change from like, I don't see this as just status quo. I see this as, as an adjustment. And frankly, I think that the, when it comes to talent, I think that the viewpoint is narrowing. I don't think it's um, expanding, which we had seen WWE at its largest in terms of, signing talent that you never would have imagined 10 years ago would land in the WWE system. Um, that was, I, I guess some of your thoughts weigh on that, the NXT subject, because that was probably the most discussed aspect of the interview. You know, it was the first time I think we heard a uh, vocal confirmation from somebody up top in the WWE about some of these changes that have been occurring in NXT and only maybe, you know, reported on by journalists or discussed by fans and speculated on, um, but you know, we all knew that NXT was about to change. We all looked at this coming takeover as some sort of end of an era. And, uh, that seems to be the case at least, you know, um, in terms of the way it looks and certainly in the, the number of hires, um, you know, I don't think it's any coincidence. The number of people on that list of releases were like either people who simply didn't fit the bill or were a bit older. Um, it seems to me that this is in line with maybe some of the discussion that this is an NXT that will be moving more back towards a traditional WWE developmental concept. Yeah. And it's one where I think like there was also, you know, Nick Khan bringing up because um, Ariel brought up like the length of raw and, you know, that is maybe the most consistent complaint. I think I have heard over the last nine years. Like, I don't know anyone that has ever said, I really like this three-hour format. Like, not one. I'm not even exaggerating. There was um, this one dude at the wedding, I actually, who was, like, the only person in my life who I have heard say, man, I wish SmackDown was an hour longer. Oh, Rampage is only one hour? That's too little, man. Like, that was that was really awesome. Do they watch Raw? I, I, I didn't get that far in the conversation, but... um. They they keep up with it. I don't know if they watch every single minute, but it's he is certainly a rarity. Yeah. So I mean, Nick Khan answered this question like somewhat in jest, like it was like somewhat tongue in cheek. But his argument was that Raw would benefit from being four hours because then we could sell it for more money, and SmackDown could be eight hours. And yes, that's you know preposterous, but I don't think it's divorced from the mentality that if for whatever God knows what, if USA Network came to them and said, you know what, we want to increase it to 400 million a year and you give us four hours because our primetime programming could use that lift. I can't say for sure that WWE is walking away from that. In fact, I would put that at a, at a pretty small percentage. Um, that mm -hmm. That is the mindset. It is make the money now. It is not looking at erosion over time. That is, the, to them, the cost of doing business. If we're looking at a 20% erosion from extending the, the, the length of a show and we're getting X amount of millions in exchange for that percentage, then we weigh that and we're going with the immediate money now. This is, 
And this was a fascinating interview because for, for a number of reasons, because Nick Khan is very good in these media settings. And I think typically his audience in these interviews is either a shareholder, it's a business or tech analyst, and he is very good with that audience. This was the first time that he was doing an interview where I think that the primary audience was going to be the wrestling fan. And that's an audience that I don't think he has communicated with directly because in this one, like just using the term indie wrestlers, that's going to send off alarm bells for your diehard audience that they're going to decode that as you're stripping away a, a product that we greatly enjoy in favor of this new vision and just, you know, throwing out this length of raw, like this is yes, to the benefit of the company, that would be great to do 24 hours of raw at a time. Your audience is pretty clear in its response to the, the length of the show. But this is, if you are a shareholder, this is what you want to hear. This is, we are, we are looking at next quarter. We are looking at year over year. It's black and white. That is what we are hearing. And that is who Nick Khan works for in essence. So I think that you're going to have different interpretations of these answers. But to the wrestling fan, I can certainly see you coming away from this interview and concluding that the NXT that you have enjoyed over the last number of years is going through a major shift and that the fan experience is not paramount if there is a a price tag. It is more content. And how are we going to churn out that content? Well, I think his answer to that question was partially like a way to kind of dodge, you know, like what is clearly, I think, a pretty negative um, trait about Raw that Ariel was trying to bring up, I think, in a polite manner. Uh, it's not like Nikon is going to say, yeah, I agree. You know, three hours is a bit much. I never watched the show. Um, like he had to make it sound, you know, somewhat, um, I don't know, positive that Raw is three hours. In fact, oh, it should be four. Why wouldn't I want it to be four from my perspective? Um, so I feel like that was interesting for me to see is like how he is able to flip these answers um, into things that, you know, he could basically, I don't know, may politicize to, to work for himself. Um, the other thing is, I mean, he kind of briefly talked about it on this, on this, uh, on the, uh, on, in, in the interview, but I feel like he's somebody who doesn't put too much weight in the, in the reaction of the audience in particular, the hardcore wrestling fan base, you know, his bottom line is the bottom line. He looks at how much money this company is making and that's the only thing he has to worry about. And the hardcore audience, you know, their dislike of a certain show or a review or a match or how many star rate, stars a, a match certain, certain, uh, has, I don't think he pays too much attention to. Even though he does say that he does have a Twitter account and he does see all the reactions to it. But I, I well, ultimately... This, this guy's very shrewd. Like when you can... It was interesting listening to his interview with Ariel and listening to uh, the other interview he did with uh, Recode Media last week. Like there were these little lines in there where you can tell like... He's done his homework on the interviewer. And with Ariel, I mean, he represented Ariel. So he has mm -hmm. that existing relationship. But with this the other interview, like, I don't know what his history was with the host, but he, I mean, he mentioned like listening to a past episode, something from his bio. Like, this is a guy that I would imagine goes into these interviews and he's doing his homework on who he's sitting down with for an extended chat as well. Like, he's a very, very savvy, um, he's a savvy a businessman like and i think that that is to his credit and that comes across he's very well spoken and he speaks with 
great knowledge of the television industry that the WWE, that is their lifeblood. And they've got arguably the the best person to be out there negotiating these next contracts for them. But it is also, um, you know, you're, you're just looking at, um, it just seems like there is such a stark contrast now between WWE and what they are doing and now AEW. Like this feels almost like they are getting NXT out of that lane. We are no longer competing for the same independent talent that you are. We are over here almost differentiating the two. And you are seeing in just in terms of television numbers, one that is growing and one that is decreasing. And where is that going to be several years from now? I I can guarantee that Nick Khan is very aware of AEW and probably studying them and everything that they're doing because come a few years from now, when they're out in the market negotiating their rights, that's going to be a very, very important series of deals for AEW and where, where their product is from now. And it also, like within pro wrestling, you always will hear the, it's a complaint of, oh, all of these WWE guys that are going over to AEW, to the shareholder or to um, a, an analyst I think they're looking at it from just a larger picture and they're seeing things that like a CM Punk and that success that they had, because that's a kind of performance on Friday night that is going to get the attention. And the response is not, oh, it's an ex-WWE guy. It's why, why is that guy who was brought up in this system now over there? And why are these stars that we had been seeing on this programming that we are shareholders in, why are they now over there lifting this other company up in, in that lane? I think that's, to some, they look at it as like this negative perception that this talent is going over there. But I look at it that it's this perception of, you know, a lot of stars that were from a WWE system are now going and they're being stars for someone else. And they are very relevant stars that are significantly moving their business up. I think it depends on how savvy the investors even are, you know, to be aware of like as big as the CM Punk thing feels like it is to us. I mean, come those like um, quarterly reports and those phone phone calls. I, I don't know how much those people are paying attention to even the day to day, even when it comes to something as big as CM Punk's return. I think as long as WWE's financials look good for that quarter, I don't know how much attention they care about the competition, how much, how much they're, they're paying attention to, you know, Brian Danielton making a return. I think they simply look at everybody as numbers. Um, you know, it definitely feels like with the shift of NXT, it feels like they're kind of throwing in the towel on this whole super indie concept that they were trying out and pretty much letting AEW run with it. And, you know, do you want like we no longer really want to create the 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 um the 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 sub promotion that uh listens to the demands of the hardcore fan base and tries to uh, chase those star ratings we're going to leave it up to those guys uh to chase you know what they consider to be crumbs but i mean those crumbs are a lot more abundant than i think i, I think it's a great, I, I think it's a great mistake today to be looking at the quote unquote hardcore wrestling fan as if it's like it's this chat room full of you know a couple thousand people it's a lot larger than people give credit to, and it's a growing audience as well. So mm -hmm. I think it's, I mean, when you're able to, and that's, again, with like NXT, like this was a, a product that was able to successfully 
sell out the Barclays Center with the WWE promotion and machine behind it. It was, you know, it, it was a very viable product, but it also came in quite in, in contrast to what we were seeing on the main roster. Like this was a system that when you break it down, this was not going to work. This ultimately had to come to a head where what is the purpose of NXT? It shifted its focus. It became two NXTs at one point where we can't just be developmental when we are also now trying to be this super indie for lack of a better term. And we want to go on the road and tour with names that have that experience, that have that cachet. And we were trying to serve all these masters, but at the core, it was produce talent for the main roster. And if we're doing something completely different at NXT, that's not funneling talent in the system they want. It looks like we want a streamlined system and that might be to the detriment of NXT and chase off viewers like the television numbers will be interesting but i think that's going to be more of a long-term um conclusion because you know the 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 roster is what it is on nxt these people all survived the cuts it's going to be in 12 to 18 months what is the makeup of nxt going to look like maybe it's a stark contrast maybe it's somewhere in the middle um but i mean i i think everyone is bracing for for changes it's just how significant will they be you know, as disappointed as I think many NXT fans are about maybe the, some of the potential shift in direction, I mean, we can all be honest in saying that this was not working. The current system was not working. You get people hot enough within NXT, they're never making it out of that system. And even if they do, they're not necessarily primed for success because Vince McMahon does not think of those same people as stars. So it was not working. It was an inefficient developmental, you can argue. And... um Ultimately, I think it was a perhaps a mistake to try to head into that direction, and now they're changing course, so we see in a few years' time whether or not they can find their next John Cena with this new developmental system. Uh, let's move on here. Um, it's obviously a, a lot to that interview. Um, two, two other notes was that Nick Khan did mention like growth areas being like international media rights and did note uh, glo- a global localized product and mentioned like the India special that they did in January that had a lot of success, that that seems to be uh, an area that they're looking for, as well as in their merchandise department, uh, coming up with a lot of kind of event specific merchandise. And we saw that uh, we saw it from both companies over the weekend. They tailored a lot of their merchandise at SummerSlam. They did a limited edition Vince McMahon shirt. They collaborated with some of the sports teams and in Chicago, we had like the event specific punk shirt and now they're selling like the the more broad one but um that's another area that they're looking at regarding merchandise and what we know way from like this like the wrestling fan especially the wrestling fan that's traveling to these events they're going to spend a lot on merchandise everybody wants some proof that they are at this event even if it's an ice cream wrapper even if it's an ice cream wrapper which um i wonder how much that's going for on ebay right now but um yeah, I mean, you know, they started this whole thing with the... They probably did it way before that, but, you know, I think most most um, successfully with the Suplex City shirts for Brock Lesnar. Yep. Um, You know, these types of shirts, I I don't know. I'd never really pay attention to WWE merch nearly as much, but I... Yeah, if you have a printing press and if you have the, the inventory, why not do this? It's, it's sure logical, sensible. Uh, SummerSlam, way you got to see the show. What were some of your, what were the takeaways? <laughs> the takeaways, yeah. You know, overall, I mean, I, I listened to, to the review and I, I, um, 
I have to say, like, for me, because I was able to watch it after the fact, speeding through a lot of the dead spots, being aware of how much time I was to invest into it, I didn't necessarily have the same complaints about the length because I was prepared. Um, but nonetheless, it, 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 it was a longer show than I think we all expected. Um, I thought otherwise it was a pretty standard set of wrestling matches with some egregious booking decisions. And obviously primarily that is, you know, the Becky Lynch return against Bianca Belair. Um, when, you know, heading into Saturday, I thought there was no way. You know, coming off of that Friday show, I thought there was no way. There's no, I mean, even if Sasha was not going to make it, I didn't think that they would be, first of all, using a Becky Lynch return uh, with no promotion against Bianca Belair. Um, and I can even understand why they would do it. But the fact that they would do it and then book the match to be only 26 minutes while spending the seconds. entire, sorry, 26 seconds, yes, so while spending the entire lead up promoting. Bianca Belair versus Sasha Banks to the to the point where they were still selling T-shirts for and merchandise for Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks leading up to that moment. I, I it really is one of those things that is um, continues to I think um, weather the amount of trust that this audience has for this particular company. And you know if the reports are true that they're turning Becky Lynch heel, it is just like one crazy decision after another for what really should have been a slam dunk set of circumstances you have a woman who is the most beloved wrestler perhaps in this entire company coming back from pregnancy being a mother you know the most baby face act i think you could possibly have for a wrestler coming back in here to potentially be a heel um it's a surefire way of i think you know not only ruining her and what money you're leaving on the table from a baby face run with becky lynch but unfortunately also devaluing bianca belair's great stock that she she should have left SummerSlam with too so you know that was probably the biggest takeaway uh Edge and Seth Rollins I agreed with you guys probably the best match on the show and then uh you know everything else I thought was pretty standard was not a fan of Lashley Goldberg um the booking there it just feels like it's just like shitty I mean match was just whatever I think to be expected but I think the finish was very unsatisfying and only served to you know be a teaser for what will probably be a Saudi Arabia match. Um, but, you know, Roman and Cena, I thought was a good match too. I think, you know, was, was as, as we had expected. Um, overall, yeah, pretty all right show. This was sent to me by Phil today, actually, because he decided to watch SummerSlam with his 11-year-old daughter. So he gave me his, his feedback. FYI, watch SummerSlam with my kid. She really wanted to see Sasha versus Belair. She saw them at WrestleMania. Well, I heard Sasha might be off, but they played the promo, so I assumed it was on. Okay, no match. Okay, Becky Lynch. My kid has not seen her. I try to get her excited, because hey, she's a star and hasn't been around. Then the squash. She almost cried. Luckily, she liked the rest of the card. I don't understand. Who benefits from that? I know this is not news to you, but I thought I would share, especially the 11-year-old perspective. Uh, Thank you, Phil. Like, I, I, To me, like... You know, oftentimes they book and we're like, okay, well, this might not be a decision made for us, but surely it is one that the kids will react well to. If you were a kid that watched that match at WrestleMania or were a Bianca Belair fan, you'd be more furious than, you know, somebody that's just like covering this or watching like that's more detached from this. Like it was Mm -hmm. just, um, I don't know. I just thought 
everything about it, I just, I really didn't like the, the bait and switch right up until the last second. Um, I applauded them for using Becky. Like, okay, Sasha's not available. We're giving you a great replacement. But then to do it in the way you did, it was just, it was just like the complete opposite feeling that you would have had on the Friday night. Like a feel-good moment versus a, think about the heat. Think about the yeah. heat. Yeah, I mean, um, as always, I feel like the optimist, optimist in me is like, is trying to think like how this will play out. Like, in what way does this make sense in their mind that this was the best decision going forward? And you know, we we have to maybe at least introduce the idea that okay, Becky might not be ring ready to have a full you know twenty minute match. Um, and this Sasha thing really kind of like you know threw a wrench into their plans. I f- still this is not kind like- of put the title on ice then if that's the case like that's creates a she- bit of an issue there like is she just not yeah. like that's the other problem with that and I mean based on this it's like you're going right into a Bianca Belair program yeah I think so I mean you know she can come out and cut promos for a whole month and delay the match until it's actually time to do it and and, and be and, and have it be fine but um I still feel like they're plenty of other opportunities and other options for them to go to than to have this 26 second thing that ended up making everybody kind of look shitty so that's probably the biggest talking point coming out of SummerSlam yeah and it's um probably like it seems like coming out of SummerSlam everything the main focus is on the SmackDown side like the promo tonight was very much about Brock returning Becky returning they didn't outright say if Brock would be on the show Friday, it was more so just the fallout of that. But those are the two big things and an edge as well with, with Rollins. So it was like the SmackDown programs, I think, had the major focus. Um, takeover on Sunday night was, I thought, like a fine show, but an extraordinary match between Walter and Ilya Dragunov. I thought this was the best WWE match of the year, and I think this was one of the best matches of 2021. I, I love this match. I thought it was terrific. Dragunov selling was top level. I just loved the way he sold these chops, the way like his, he was just like crumbling and the facial reactions that he had, like these two are just so great working together. And they had a very high bar to meet after that match last October and I, I thought they didn't disappoint anyone with the with the follow up. Uh, this was this was my highlight match of the weekend, no doubt. I just love this match. You know, on a show going into it, where I think like a lot of people were ready, readying their obituaries for like what NXT and the takeovers that they used to love used to be. Drag it off versus Walter to me completely rewrote some of that narrative and reminded us why we've fallen in love with these takeover shows for so long. And, you know, at least reminded us of the great potential that still exists within this very stacked roster. Completely agree with you. It was one of the matches of the year completely exceeded. I think what heavy expectations people had, um, you know, continues to not only be a great showcase of Walter, who, who do you, what do you see Walter doing after this? I mean, I would, it's it's so funny that the big hangup seems to be that, okay, he, he, he doesn't want to move here. And we have so many instances of guys that come in for a few shots a year that I don't think Walter would have any, I don't want Walter on TV every week. And but, I know, but I know, but that makes sense, John, but does it make sense under this new NXT? 
to spend this amount of time featuring a guy who's not going to be ever make it to the main roster. He's certainly not the Vince McMahon type of guy and who he's not even going to be around for you to benefit from weekly on NXT. I think that like personally, I I would make a big pitch for this guy to be uh, a main roster attraction, but I would be frightened at what mask he would have to wear or what, what he would have to undergo in a perfect world. Like this would be the, like, you know, he comes in, he's an attraction that comes in several times a year. Uh, and this goes for NXT as well. Like, I think that's, that's the, the deck that they're playing with when it, when it comes to Walter and it just seems like him at NXT UK, it just seems like there's, that's the other thing watching this is that, you know, we watch, um, you know, p- pick your name. And right now you're watching Daniel Garcia and it's just, what a run this guy's having. He's going to work Minoru Suzuki in, in October in San Francisco. Like he's just having this amazing year and you're just watching this and there is nothing that's holding this guy back. AEW sees a star in him. There's no, there's no issue because of the size, nothing. It's like the limitless potential. It's just looks great for this guy. And I'm watching Ilya Dragunov, and I was like, where's this guy going to be a year from now? Is he, I just feel like four years ago, we were raving about Tyler Bate, and that guy's spinning his wheels like a hamster in NXT UK. Like, where is the end game for these guys in the WWE system? And that's where I think you can really get into a match like this. But ultimately, like, I don't want Ilya Dragunov to be in NXT UK a year from now. Two years from now. I, and I don't want him on 205 Live either. That's it. It's just, and I think that's the part where it just it somewhat becomes deflating where a ricochet just makes such a big statement uh, because of, God, how many people are not at a ricochet level that are just half the talent he is, and that's where that guy's plight is on the main roster. So I, I think like that's a part of, you watch this and it goes to our young lions discussion is that you get invested in these young stars. And then when you see them developing into stars, like, I don't know if there's something that's more that captures your fandom more than seeing stars develop in front of your eyes and watching them turn into big stars. And again, AEW is banking on that. And they are, they have numerous stars like that, that they are just invested in. And now we're starting to see some of them, become bigger deals. And that's a cool journey for your, to grow your fans where you see someone progress and grow and ascend. And I think there's a, there's a clear ceiling in the WWE system where like an Ilya Dragunov, like this is kind of it, uh, you know, select shots at NXT and a regular at NXT UK. And I don't think people are clamoring to see this guy go to SmackDown. Oh, well, I mean, depending on who you're asked, but I think the the person up top in, in WWE, I don't think gives a sh- shit about I- Ilya Dragunov, unfortunately. Um, you know, ultimately, I think the buck stops at whether or not this person can transition to the main roster. Um, and I don't think so. That's not to say, like, people can't, but they have to fit within, I think, you know, what Vince McMahon sees as a fit for his roster. I who don't can be a WWE a superstar? That's the new buzz term that they're using. Who can be a WWE superstar? That's what we're looking for. Mm. I don't know what but, that means. Yeah. But nonetheless, you know, like you, 
if you're the people in charge of NXT, if if you're still caring at all about the quality of the show and wanting to attract an audience for your Tuesday show, you need these matches. You need these match of the year contenders that create buzz on the underground to feature on your takeovers to maintain the reputation that takeover has worked so hard to build over the years. So this was a complete positive. And if, I think if I'm Triple H, I want to keep these two around in this sort of featured role as long as I can. And, you know, I want to create more Dragonov versus Walters, you know, in, in, in my continued existence. So we shall see what NXT looks like. You know, I'm guessing it's still going to be a bit more of a hybrid between a traditional NXT model and then your occasional match of the year contenders that will light the underground on fire. Um, but how... It's still you know, a loaded roster when you look at it. Like, that's not changing overnight. Like, you have all this talent. You're not just going to flip that. So, I mean, you're still going to be maintaining a, a certain quality. Um We've gone super long here with news, but I guess the other noteworthy... Uh, we, we can go shorter with Raw. I feel like this was has way will, more interest. I will condense Raw. But uh, the other notable outcome, well, two of them, was uh, Samoa Joe winning the NXT Championship from Karrion uh, Cross, the unmasked Karrion Cross, who, coming out without Scarlet, without his usual entrance, they could not have made him feel like a jag. <laughs> more than this. A jag, yes. Copyright Just a guy. WH. Copyright WH Park, yes. Um, I thought this was a disappointing matchway. It was not at the level of a main event for a takeover. Um, it was fine, but I wouldn't go much above that. Like, it was a 12-minute match. He wins the title. But, um, I mean, following, like, Walter, and Il- it was not in, in the league of that. Not in the league of that. Oh, even Carl O'Reilly versus um, Adam Cole was was not, you know, compared. Comp- they suffered from the three falls. Like, I think... I like the fact that they did it in 24, but when you're breaking that up into three falls, um, like the first one, they're done in three. I did not want to see them go 45 because that was my thought going into this one. Uh, It was just, it was an abrupt finish. The audience didn't like it. It just felt very, um, it did not meet the level that those two were expected of. And it was, that was expected to be either the best match of the show or the second best match of the show. And I, I still would not say it was a, a disappointment, but the audience certainly didn't take to the finish. No, the finish, I think, maybe felt, maybe sounded more um, attractive in concept, maybe even in practice than, or maybe in, in, in actual practice than in actual practice live, uh, because I don't think this audience really bought into the one, one leg, one arm heel hook very much, or it wasn't well communicated, um, maybe through the cage or something like that. Um, it's more of a, interesting match i think for the historical context of this being potentially adam cole's final match yes he did work a he did work a lockjaw into this as well so Mm -hmm. um pw insider noted this was his last nxt appearance uh fightful had added that as of sunday morning he had not signed a new deal uh and then dave Meltzer noting today that he is technically a free agent now so i mean your options way are main roster or elsewhere. And I think everyone's going to look at elsewhere being AEW. And I don't think it's just, um, well, I mean, we saw being the elite today, they're already starting the teases of bringing Adam Cole back from the dead. And I think those guys are not just doing anything for no reason. So I think that's, I think where there's smoke, there's probably fire there, but cannot say that for certain. Yeah, but it's a, many signs are pointing to it. You know, um, coming off of uh, what, what biggest, would be your argument to stay? Like, wait, what? What would be money? What would be convincing? It. See, uh, that would no that cut. would be the answer. But I do think, like, the money. We've talked about this before. I don't think it means what it did before because 
if they come at you and say, we want you and here is 800 a year, and that's a downside, okay? I'm just throwing out a, a figure and it's mm -hmm. a, and we're paying this much. We want term on you as well. So it's five years, 800. Okay, that on paper looks great. Am I going to see that total over five years or the next turn of cuts in a year or two? Am I going to be right at the top of that list and I'm not going to see this money? Like that well, to I've... me is going to be in the back of your mind because you've seen that precedent. Well, it's money and a no cut clause if that is negotiable. And I mean, at this point, like this guy's got leverage. If if you want to leave, then you throw he, out everything there. He, he has leverage. But like if I'm Vince, why would I bend over backwards for Adam Cole? And I mean, Adam Cole is means a whole lot to all of us, means a whole lot to NXT. And I think means a whole lot more to any any AEW than he would to main roster WWE. But I do not see Vince caring that much to keep this guy around that he probably doesn't want in his main roster. Then anyway. you leave. Like, that's what I'm saying. Yep, if you if it. you want to leave then you throw out all your wants and the worst they can do is say no. And you're out of there. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. that's, that's it. Like for him, I don't see any um, reason to stay, even if financially it's uh, an, an absurd number that they throw at him. Like he is so, 32 years old and he can have his WWE run in his career. But, you know, it's all that. It's also, we have to think about from Tony Khan's side of things. You've been spending a whole lot of money on extra talent, in, in particular, ex-WWE talent. How much are you willing to offer an Adam Cole, knowing that you have leverage in terms of creativity, in terms of, you know, probably booking him a whole lot better than WWE would? Are we sure that Tony Khan is going to offer him a comparable level of money to what Vince will? I mean, it depends. Like, it comparable to what he's making in NXT, comparable to, you know, no, a, main, a main roster. roster offer. I mean, it's it, it's very hard to say. I don't I, I don't know like where that would come and if you know, it's you're you're looking at for for Adam Cole's perspective as well. Like I I do think we're at a point now where it's like you want to see some of these other companies emerge too because it's like mm -hmm. there's such a gigantic concentration of talent now in AEW that personally from the outside you want to see these other companies thriving too that can be that can be viable that guys that are just there's only so much hours of television every week that it can spread out and like a new japan would be if if travel restrictions were not what they were i think they could be very active in, in the market and and working to attract some people like the industry needs that now because AEW can't take everybody, even though it appears that they're trying to. I, I mean, I, I certainly feel like that that threshold is being hit right now with, you know, the number of new talents that they have to promote with only three hours of TV time every single week. Um, and again, that budget, that roster budget is growing and AEW really is not cutting anybody. So, you know, but at the same time, it's like, um, can the other companies offer type of contracts that AEW can that wwe can um some eventually they're going to cut so many people that like some of these people are just going to have to i don't want to say settle but like you know move over to some of these other companies to 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 find their success and i certainly hope for that day when it's not just two companies that we're talking about but three or four that are in contention for like you know top spot all right all of that news you can find more at postwrestling.com if you're interested i wrote a bunch about the uh, the whole the future of NXT today in the uh, the news update, if you want to uh, check out some of my thoughts. But we have Raw to talk about, and we're going to race through this. From San Diego, California tonight, and we started off with MVP and Lashley coming out, and they 
pretty much ran down Goldberg, calling him a coward who quit, certainly keeping his name out there for the eventual rematch. The question is just when. Yeah, so clear. I mean, not the next cycle, but when is the Saudi show? October. So, I mean, October, it would be okay. like they have extreme rules in September. Like, I could certainly see that that Saudi show being loaded up and that, you know, we know Goldberg, the deal calls for two matches a year, but I think everything's negotiable. So that would be, you know, the fact that they are teasing that now, I would say like that has as much a chance as anything. I would, I would lean more towards that than like Survivor Series, for instance. Makes sense to me. So they run him down, and he's interrupted by Damian Priest, who defends Goldberg, defends the fans, who they called cowards, and he sets out a challenge here for Lashley. Lashley attacks him, fires back, and MVP accepts on behalf of Lashley, leading to our impromptu match and getting Damian Priest. I I like the fact that, hey, here's a babyface that we've protected, that we're lining up here and and running with. Like, great. This show greatly needs babyfaces. They're in San Diego tonight with obviously, you know, heavy Hispanic audience and Damien Priest, I thought was the biggest baby face they were pushing on this entire show. And I thought overall it was quite successful what they did with him. So the singles match only went a minute 25 because Sheamus ran in to attack Priest in a minute 25. That prompts Drew McIntyre to make the save. I thought Drew was very over to this crowd, like more than he's been pushed of late. Um, so we get the... A uh, big brawl here, including Drew hitting this crazy looking belly to belly to Lashley on the floor that I think he wanted to send him through the desk, but was off. So it was just this uh, ugly looking belly to belly. Thankfully, the landing, I guess Lashley was OK and then got dumped through the desk. So we come back. Tag match is made between the two and they got the advantage on Priest for a long time. Drew gets the hot tag. Crowd is going wild. He signals for the countdown and nails Sheamus on the apron, turns into a slam by Lashley, and then they get the heat on Drew. Priest comes back in, and Lashley is on the floor. He turns around and is hit with a flying knee as uh, Sheamus, Sheamus lands the knee. Lashley and MVP walk out on Sheamus, and Drew hits the Claymore, pinning Sheamus in 14 minutes and 50 sec- 14 minutes and 15 seconds, and the crowd was pretty hot. I, I thought specifically for Drew, but by the end of it, like they were really into this finish as well. I thought it was a fun match. It felt like, you know, a raw TV main event level type of match with what you can argue are like your top guys. Like, I mean, Drew and uh, lastly are really your top two guys. And then bringing in Sheamus and Priest in there, I thought really elevated Priest. You know, the whole focus of this match, I felt, was on him creating that association between him and Bobby Lashley, doing a pretty intense stare down afterwards. I think having him in the mix, being so competitive with the champion and having him paired with Drew McIntyre like this brings him up to that title contention level. Uh, Priest just stared down Lashley. So that that felt like the direction tonight. That's Sarah Schreiber. Didn't they say next week for that one? No, it's going to be Lashley and Sheamus next week. Oh, right. Yes, that's right. Okay, yeah. So the maybe extreme rules. Could be. Yeah. I mean, we have a month and that, I mean, he's as viable a babyface as you've got. And to their credit, they have they have stuck to that Drew McIntyre stipulation. Uh, yes, you're right. You can't yes, challenge. Mm-hmm. Schreiber interviews Dewdrop and said it was a mistake to associate with Eva Marie. And instead of being embarrassed by it, I like the name Dewdrop. And next week... I'm going to do drop 
Eva. Eva then jumps her, rams her head into the equipment case. She dewdropped her. And as dewdrop is like dead on the floor, Schreiber comes in for a follow-up question. <laughs> Are you okay? And dewdrop, this is the sign of the push, everyone. That bitch. Somebody had to pull the card out tonight, and uh, they gave it to her. So we'll see where this goes for Dewdrop. You could hel- elevate her to a significant status, or they will lose interest at some point. But uh, we shall see. I'm curious to see how this match kind of looks like, actually. Then we got the shot of Karrion Cross sporting the uh, the rejected mask that was pitched to Demolition. So he's got a mask now, and he's wearing these red straps. Like, uh, suspenders. Oh, Dude. The transformation is complete, everybody. You know, you get rid of the, the I don't know, Scarlet. Uh, you get rid of the Hourglass. You come back with... You trade in Scarlet for a mask and suspenders, basically. Um, They've taken you know, everything away from this guy. Um, that, you know, it was... The presentation of him was a key part of his appeal. Now he looks like an American gladiator. You know, I don't know if, like, where the look came from. I don't know why they just decided this week to introduce the new look. Uh, I suppose they thought the title was a good enough look for him. Oh, he's without the title. He needs something. Give the man red suspenders. Uh, On the one hand, I will say, like, it's very disappointing because I think it makes him even less cool to this audience. On the other hand, you know Vince has his hands all over this. So he is on his radar. And I think in his mind, he is actually trying to make this work. Uh, as poorly conceived as I think the fashion was. You know what will be the sign that the sky's the limit when he's just introduced cross. Not carrying? You think they'll both cross? What? Is he carrying water? What's (laughs) carrying? What a nerd. He comes out carrying a cross. (laughs) Chemo then, I guess will be his name. What? What's, if he's carrying a cross, he'd be chemo, Leopoldo. Okay, yes, yes, sure. So the Doomsday Saito is now the Doomsday Suplex. <laughs> yeah, what the and, hell's a Saito? What is that, a person, that Japanese guy? And, uh, oh, Car? he was facing Ricochet, by the way. Ricochet was oh. our uh, our victim. Uh, just thrown around, Doomsday Suplex and Cross Jacket a minute 32 and carrying cross is your winner. So that was that it was, it was rather comical that at takeover, they started chanting Hardy at the beginning of that match. They have, I mean, I feel, I I really do feel bad for carrying cross because I think he's done really nothing wrong. He's simply there to play his role. And you know, that reception that he received at NXT was completely the result of the booking. That he received, you that's, know, I, that's I, that audience that is going to be much more loyal to like that. It's a like it's, you know, you're talking about a small group of probably semi regulars in that NXT environment that are watching this thing change in front of their eyes. And that's as much of a protest chant as, as anything that they are watching this thing change. And I thought mm-hmm. I thought it was much more notable. The fact that that's happening in the in a, an NXT takeover than say on raw for instance where you're going to get more of a a vocal protest it's a protest against what the character represents at this point of carrying cross and that is somebody who has bastardized that nxt title week after week in front of a major giant audience so no mention of the title loss tonight and i mean 
I, I actually think that's the right move because uh, what benefit do you have, number one, to carry cross to let people know that he lost? And number two, separate him from his from NXT, I think, as far as you can at this point. They showed uh, a segment from uh, YouTube with Big E, after winning back his briefcase, meeting up with Logan Paul at SummerSlam, and Sarah Schreiber was interviewing Corbin and then ran to go interview the bigger celebrity. So Corbin comes over complaining. Logan calls Corbin an asshole. And then we see a shot of Logan Paul hanging out with his buds, Eric and Ivar, the Viking Raiders, who give them a shirt. So this was a fascinating WWE segment where Logan Paul was so designed to be the babyface and had no idea of how much this audience hates this guy. He was completely cast as the babyface here. I suppose so. Yeah, I really do find that hard to believe, though. Because if they you listen him. to all of his lines, they were all ba- like they paired him here with the Viking Raiders. He insulted Corbin. There was a comment in the middle where he said, "I'm a New Day fan." Like all of his lines were designed for a babyface reception, and I cannot imagine they could they had any idea that it was going to be this vociferous of a reaction to Logan Paul. I would be very curious to hear how this turned out. And how much Miz and Morrison maybe had to just think on the fly to adjust because this, I totally believe this segment was designed with the idea Logan Paul would be a babyface standing up to the Miz and the crowd would be behind Logan Paul. I don't think you're wrong at all, you know, but at the same time, like last time he was here, he was booked to take a stunner for a babyface reaction for Kevin Owens. So I, I can't understand why they would flip on that. Yeah, that's it. It is true. Um, And it was interesting because it seemed like Logan Paul, like his main thing here was to plug the fight on Sunday with Jake and Tyron Woodley, which was interesting. So, um, well, why not? He's got that connection with the WWE. Why not, you know, promote that match to 2000 potential fight fans? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I would imagine like, yes, I know it's like the week of the fight, but I would think Jake Paul would do this. Well... I mean, I, I maybe I doubt not, it. Not, I, like, like honestly, it's a, like Logan Paul has his you know same connection. kind of following as well. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Morrison, um, <laughs> dude, the, the water lines are just. He explains that wet guys are the best guys, and then transitions to you and your brother are making waves. <laughs> it's just like this guy. I think he spends a week a week just thinking of every water reference that he puts down into a book for his promos each week. The writing team must have like, you know, a dedicated several people coming with these water lines. I, yes. I think they're hilarious. I mean, I don't know. I know, I know it's not probably for everybody, but I think Morrison does a great job at it. I think he's funny in the role. So like this crowd is overtaking this. This isn't, this isn't at the level of that Kevin Owens, Elias segment in Seattle, but it's pretty like anti Logan Paul here. So the mm-hmm. Miz comes out. And you can see Morrison, like, conveying something to Logan Paul in his ear. And Miz is kind of passively, aggressively arguing with Morrison. They're going back and forth as they're at odds with one another. This is where Logan says, I'm more of a New Day fan, thinking that was going to, I guess, get the uh, the crowd behind him. He starts talking about fighting Mayweather, how Paul and or his brother Jake and Woodley are fighting in their hometown of Cleveland, and this was the most heel line where they said they're going to end Woodley's career and turn him into a meme. That was certainly came off as a heel line. 
And then Miz just turns around. He plugs the fight. He plugs his podcast, Fighting Mayweather. And then he asks Logan, what round is your brother going to get knocked out in? And Logan says that Jake is knocking out Tyron. And maybe I'm going to knock you out. They go face to face. And this crowd is all siding with Miz in this showdown. Morrison just jokes that Logan would, uh, I guess, knock out Miz. And Miz makes everything about himself. Logan just takes off. He just leaves the ring. And then Miz explains to Morrison that Moist TV is a spinoff of Miz TV. And they continue arguing as Xavier Woods interrupts. But this was just a wild segment that I imagine was very different in their minds of how it would play out. That's what it felt like watching. There was certainly something disjointed about it at the end. I mean, I just find it so hard to believe that they couldn't have seen this coming. I mean, these are the Paul brothers. They don't get cheered anywhere. But look how know? they booked him in before the stunner. He was a babyface in that whole lead up. And we said the same thing. How do you bring in Logan Paul as a babyface? But that's how they did it until the stunner, which I mean, to me, was a great spot for Logan Paul to take. Uh, perhaps, yeah, you know, but uh, there was an element of this segment that was really interesting to watch because you could tell that like the crowd was kind of taking it into their own hands how they were going to present the segment and seeing how everybody. I mean, it was a nuclear amount of heat for these Paul, Paul like this Logan Paul, Paul. So whenever these Paul brothers are done with boxing, I mean, they have tremendous potential careers in professional wrestling if they wanted it. Um, beyond that, you know, it served as a bit of a setup for Miz and Morrison's breakup later on tonight. Yeah, we got uh, another Elias, uh, series of Elias promos about Elias being dead. And I guess the culmination of this is that now he is Elias, the WWE superstar, and he put on this white hat. So he's still Elias? That's still the name? That's what he said. Now he is Elias, the WWE superstar. So maybe he is what makes a WWE superstar. Whatever. Sure. Whatever. The Miz and Xavier Woods, they had uh, an 11-minute match. Um, it was fine, but the the focus was on Morrison, who is in the corner. And Where, Where's Kofi? Kofi was not at SummerSlam, and he wasn't here tonight. So Kofi is the latest one who has disappeared, because he was on Raw last week in that background scene with, with Woods. Uh, that set up the Miz and Morrison thing, like they were going to get involved with that. So I, I don't know what the issue is with Kofi. Okay. Woods, they did a spot where they poured water on the floor and they were going to slide slide. Xavier across the floor, but it was reversed. So Miz slid into the steps. And when they came back from break, this was completely dry. Oh, somebody must have mopped it up. It's a hazard. So Woods stops a skull-crushing finale. When Morrison gets on the apron to shoot the drip stick, he hits neither of them. But Woods gets away, and they explain that this match would be over if not for Morrison, and then Woods catches him with an inside cradle in 11.41. Morrison feels bad. Miz is upset. Corey Graves, maybe knowing what is to come, gets in one last line saying, oh, it's all water under the bridge. And then they call for the drip stick, and Miz executes uh, Miz just attacks him. Skull crushing finale. Beats the shit out of John Morrison. What were you gonna say? I was gonna go with drip to drop, but I it doesn't work. So I just uh, okay. cut that one out. But you forced me to uh, share it anyway. Wow. So big, big, uh, 
turn here by Miz. And this is going to build to the big showdown next week. Miz Morrison in Oklahoma City. Yeah, it feels a bit early, but I mean, we can probably depend on this match um, bleeding multiple times. This is going. This is going to be a marathon feud. I can feel it. Yeah, no doubt. So, um, I mean, um, it makes sense that the Miz is the heel coming out of this feud, but I have concerns, great concerns for John Morrison coming out of this program because I, I sense that Miz is always going to be this kind of their perennial, you know, main event level type of heel project, and. Morrison, there has been no indication to me that they're going to use any of this to push him as a serious mid-carder threat coming out of this. I feel like he's going to simply lose to The Miz at the end of all of this and then fade back into the mid-card maybe with some of the, I don't know, water comedy shticks. I mean, I I, I see him, and unfortunately, I see a future 24-7 champion oh, doing don't. skits with Reggie. You know, yeah. like, they, they see his acrobatics. He's the parkour guy. It almost is kind of perfect to his detriment, unfortunately. Um, but I I think, you know, the Miz is going to probably come out of this feud for the better. It's like WWE, it's like, man, they have they have really had a time when it comes to developing baby faces, but it's almost more pronounced now because both shows are dominated by these unbeatable heel monsters that I think it makes it even tougher now. Like if you're putting John Morrison as a baby face, like gay, yeah, like what is What's the ceiling? Like, he is not a guy that you're going to be priming for a Bobby Lashley. So you're looking at, you know, a, a role yeah. that's going to be pretty much the babyface equivalent of where he's at now. And throwing out the Reggie idea, I mean, I can't discount that being uh, something that someone's going to think up and he could find himself in that mix. Yeah, we'll see. You know, I, I, I at least hope they get a good feud out of it. I mean, I think there's great potential for Morrison to be a great babyface coming off of this, but... Whether or not they realize it or have other plans, we'll find out. Nikki wants to lift her spirits and asks Rhea Ripley to team with her. She says, sure. It's like, what else were you going to do tonight, Rhea? You're arriving at the arena. You've got your gear. You have nothing booked. Like, why not? Why not accept the match if you've come all the way here? Catering. Good food. Reggie was outside earlier today. He's explaining... He could never afford anything from the ice cream truck when he was younger, and bullies would steal his money, and therefore he learned to be fast and agile, and that has helped him win the 24-7 title. So he buys two ice cream cones as Truth and Tozawa try to jump them, but they are distracted by the gift of ice cream. Not ice cream bars. It was in a cone. And then they went into this crazy routine where he climbed, Reggie climbs a tree hops down and then leaps onto the tr- ice cream truck, flips off that, and then drives off in the truck. Yeah, and then this dude from an RV starts running at them, and I, I don't know if that, that was exactly part of the skit or not, but... um, Maybe that was the ice cream driver. Like, that was his truck? From an RV? Oh, I don't know. Is he driving an RV and an ice cream truck, yeah. I, I Reggie, like, legitimately has some very impressive, like, I mean, acrobatics, the man, you know, being a Cirque du Soleil guy, of course he would. So these are all, again, one take things that are legitimately impressive. I would say at most I find them to be inoffensive because they're really short. They're kind of flashy. But I would hardly say that they're great and that they're must-see, which I think, you know, like under maybe uh, different creative, this could potentially be. But, I mean, as it, as it exists, pretty inoffensive. 
Mansoor versus Jinder Mahal. Mahal had Veer and Shanky with him. And the idea here is that Mansoor told Ali that he wants to do things his way and Ali cannot get involved. So Ali just stood at ringside and he never got involved. And Mahal dropped him with a series of kicks, stomped him down in the corner and wouldn't stop. So the bell is called at 219. Ali won't get involved and help. And afterwards asks Mansoor, what happened? And says, we can do things your way or my way. This whole thing, like, this week really feels like it's been spinning its wheels. And I don't know if it's only because, like, Rey Mysterio and Dominic are doing the exact same storyline on SmackDown. So it feels like I'm watching it twice. But, you know, last week, they, they've established that cheating is good, right? And this week, I guess they're reinforcing the fact that interfering and cheating is uh, supposed to be good. And without it, uh, Mansoor is helpless. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. He's he's the nice guy. Nice guys finish last. Okay, so being nice is a negative trait, is what we're trying to understand. The other thing here is, to me, it made absolutely no sense from gender's perspective why he would get himself DQ'd like this in such stupid fashion. You know, getting disqualified by, like, could he not control himself? He's like, I got my Drew match. I got a SummerSlam payoff. I don't care anymore. Well, I, I don't think these writers cared too much about this the booking of this finish because um, it was clearly obviously done to further Mansoor and Ali, but I, th- I don't think with any care about the perspective of the other pers- participant. So I don't know. It's, this Mansoor-Ali thing, I thought they had a great uh, moment in Chicago, but beyond that, it hasn't really lit my world on fire. Damian Priest and Drew McIntyre met in the back and... They had the most um, awkward conversation among friends, which is par for the course on this show. Damien thanks Drew. Drew explains, there's no one on earth I dislike more than Bobby Lashley and Sheamus. Priest explains, I've dreamed of being United States champion since I was a kid. Drew says, well, tonight you're going out drinking with me. Okay, Drew, I'll accept that challenge. All right, first pint on you. Huh. Well, you and I have had similar conversations, exactly. Yes, where our chests have been to the camera, and we've got one eye on the camera and the other on each other. Yeah. Uh, when you don't have actors and you don't have like great script writers for, for these non-actors, I mean, you're going to get results like this. My takeaway, though, is that Again, this is a way of like putting Damien Priest, you know, as sort of like a second equal to a Drew McIntyre. He drinks. He drinks. What a man. Yeah, he parties. What a cool guy. Um, but, you know, it establishes the fact that these two are, are now buddies, I suppose. We could have some more friends on this show, for sure. Two people that genuinely get along with each other. I'll take it. Everyone else, every other team has a problem with it, one another, even if it's a father and son. They have a rift. I don't know if these two genuinely get along, but, um, well, they have some time to go. We got to see them party with each other in a hot tub. Charlotte comes out. She is now a 12-time champion because, way, she has won the Divas title, the SmackDown women's title, and the Raw women's title. 12. That's all of her titles. Yeah. Are there others? Nope. Nope. Not a... Not... Not ready for national promotion. 
Did she have any wrestling experience prior to debuting on Raw? She debuted on Raw in 2015. It was amazing. It was like she had been doing this for wow. several years, but she just landed on Raw. Um, outstanding. Did she have a life prior to her uh, Raw no, debut? No, no. She fell out of the sky onto Raw. Wow. Yes. Amazing. The natural selection. Hmm. No one will approach my legacy. I will hold on to this title as long as I physically can. But knowing this company, I'll probably drop it in three weeks and retain it or regain it in six. I don't need friends. I don't need family or the WWE universe. All I need is this title. Nikki was a pint-sized pretender. I'm here to restore order and remind everyone what it's like to be proud to watch Raw. <laughs> Yikes. I mean, that's a dig at themselves, isn't it? Like, no one... no. They, <laughs> now that this clown show is over. <laughs> God, wow, okay. Yeah. Uh, she started the first women's evolution. I'm starting another one tonight. Long live the queen. And then the clown show's over. So out comes Lily with Alexa Bliss. Can't wait. Mm -hmm. Now it's time to be proud. And that's the segment. You know, she just appears. Um, we're in this for a slow burn, I suppose. Um, but this is... Oh, it, it could be a very fast burn, given some of the angles. I mean, Charlotte could get lit on fire. We could get goop. Um, mm -hmm. Just, wow. This should be quite... This is, this is where um, we're really going to see where they take Charlotte now, that she is paired with Alexa. Uh, you know, I don't know how... <laughs> You know, I'm going to stop myself. Like, we were all expecting shenanigans on SummerSlam, and they delivered a pretty straight match. I think knowing what they have planned for Alexa going forward, it does kind of make sense to me why they would want to showcase her on SummerSlam, just to kind of set her up for something like this. Um, but they didn't do anything supernatural. And, um, well, they probably will for this one, because it's a title program. I mean, we'll see some form of mind control. <laughs> um, yeah, yes or no? Does Charlotte at some point chop Lily? Oh, okay. That's a good one. Um, I'm going to say, uh, sure. Yeah, why not? I say yes. I, does Lily chop Charlotte? Ooh, better question. Maybe. Yeah. She'll definitely wink. Sure, yeah. I mean, we all knew that this was going to happen sooner or later, that Alexa Bliss was going to be inserted into the title picture. Uh, I can't say, judging by tonight, that this crowd was that excited for this feud. Alexa is going to have her uh, core supporters on the internet, but I predict when the match happens, I mean, they're going to have to do a whole lot to, you know, change the audience's audience from continuing to chant, we want Wyatt. Shane is with Nia Jax. They're teaming together, so they're back together. But of course, they're not on the same page. Jax... <laughs> Jax gets guilted into teaming with Charlotte from last week, but says she was just trying to get booked, I guess. Baszler says, we butt heads a lot, but when we're on the same page, we're unstoppable. Jax said, why cool. Isn't that a why isn't that a storyline? You know, I mean, I can't get booked. There was an opening. So they put me with the woman who I injured last year and took out for several months in storyline, so... I can't make sense of this stuff, but hey, it was an opening. It was a payoff, Shayna. She said, I understand. Yeah. 
I don't know if they're trying to put them back together to actually build to a breakup or what, but it's been stop and start for over a year now with these two, like, either getting along or not getting along. Um, now they get along. Nikki Ash and Rhea Ripley against Jax and Baszler. So Jax is just, it's funny, like, you draw influence from, you know, you have a whole history of this industry of, you know, things you can borrow, things you can steal. She's discovered Rikishi. She's like, you know what? This stuff, this is this is where I'm going to go with this. So she has now fully incorporated the stink face as a spot and making references to her ass. So it's like a, like Rikishi and Ryusuke Taguchi has infiltrated Nia Jax's ring style in 2021. Sure, why not? She's the my whole woman, right? Well, maybe she went down a rabbit hole and found, you know, Taguchi matches that can, you know... There's worse influences. So Jax gets knocked off the balance off the turnbuckle. It's a long heat spot on Nikki until Ripley gets the hot tag and runs wild. Nikki does a high cross to Jax on the floor. There's a headbutt and riptide to Baszler and Ripley pins her in 10 minutes and 27 seconds. Nikki jumps into Rhea's arms as Ripley has this bizarre look on her face because... It's the odd couple. Can these two get along? Can they work together? But then she did smile. So this this did not feel like a one-off. It feels like these two will be paired together. And honestly, it's probably the best these two can hope for now that they are clearly out of the title picture. I wouldn't say that's great news for Rhea Ripley, but I also was not clamoring for the continuation of her and Charlotte. So tag detour, maybe this will be helpful for them. Uh I certainly think so, and I think it's helpful, hopefully, for the tag team division because they certainly need a bit of new blood. Um, I, I'm looking forward. I mean, if there's one thing I think we're, we know is that Vince loves his odd couple tag teams. They have them, like, <laughs> everywhere, <laughs> and uh, they he loves tension. He loves teasing tension between two partners, you know, so... It's, uh, it's I wonder what this there. guy's friendships were like in high school. Like, <laughs> oh was there God. always, like... How's this guy trying to screw me? Like, was there always like that air of doubt that this person can't be genuine in anything? Uh, per- perhaps, yeah. Perhaps this is like, you know, Vince. Uh, perhaps the odd couple is within Vince himself and his dueling personalities. Who knows? You know, we can psychoanalyze Vince through his work um, all we want. There's a lot to to uncover i'm sure but i i think it's good for nikki and Rhea. you know a great way for i think Rhea to maybe show a bit more personality a, a, a way of i don't know making some sense of this like superhero thing which it's a better role continuing. for nikki in this spot and also it gives her someone to play off of and that should help mm-hmm. the character as well so i'm i'm definitely open to this idea John Morrison is in the back. No more Miz and Morrison, he says. No more Miz TV. No more dirt sheet. No more music videos. Next week, I'm taking out Miz in the ring. So we're going to get that match next Monday. Riddle's in the ring for the final segment. He brings out Randy. They're introduced as the champions. Pyro goes off. The crowd is chanting RK Bro. They were definitely into this. Riddle says friendship is just as important as a championship, and he got Randy a present. A scooter. I thought this was rather amusing, the scooter, yeah, which had sense. Randy written on it too. The start of this whole thing really had like you know a rock and sock. This is your vibe, uh, a life segment type of vibe. So yeah, scooter made sense. 
Yeah, that would be a, a this is your life on Randy Orton. That one could uh that one could go in some crazy directions. Somebody might give him a duffel bag. AJ comes out. <laughs> he comes out. Omos is like it's like delayed. It's like he wasn't ready with AJ. He like came out like a minute later. And insults the scooter, saying Omos is going to break the scooter. Just an asshole, this AJ Styles. And tries to stir shit by saying Randy didn't get a gift for Riddle. Say he didn't get you candy. Didn't get you a plant, which would seem appropriate. Dude, no one in this crowd reacted. It's like, here's a crowd in California. It's like, dude, you're doing weed jokes in 2021. Grow up. Grow up or grow up. <laughs> Didn't even realize. All right. Riddle accepts the challenge, and we get to our match. This might have been a record. We got three matches announced for next week. We're going to get Bobby Lashley against Sheamus, The Miz against Morrison, and Dewdrop versus Eva Marie. These are all matches with some significance, or at least like you know, some long-term story attached to them. Maybe not so in the case of Lashley versus Sheamus, but that is you know a. a it's not a championship match, but it is a singles match with your champion. Might be a champion's so. contenders match. Probably sure. Um, but you know, it it at least to me feels like they're making an effort to make to make next week feel like it's a big one. Three whole should be getting into the routine of this. Like Monday night football's coming back in a few weeks, and I think like they they should be doing more of this. I mean, this wasn't like the whole show that they're announcing ahead of time, but if you can announce some Do any of them do any of them change by next week? Oh probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> we will we will definitely fact check this next week and see how many if if, we, if they get all three, then bravo. Uh, Riddle and AJ, I thought they had a really good spe- uh, good match here. Uh, there was a point where Riddle's going for a triangle and AJ lifts to slam him, which Jimmy Smith identifies as the Rampage Special. And I don't know if that name uh, is going to be uttered too often on WWE programming after no, Friday. You might put that on the ban list with Belt and. Fuck is the Rampage special. Riddle comes back. AJ does his backflip out of the corner into the inverted DDT. Styles' uh, phenomenal forearm gets stopped, and he's lifted onto the shoulders. AJ goes to the calf crusher, moves him to the center, and it's countered to the bro mission. AJ flips out. Uh, Styles uh, crotches Riddle after Omos distracts, prompting Randy to attack Omos. AJ hits his version of the burning hammer and then we cut to the floor dude orton's got the scooter and he's just beating up omos with the scooter aj is distracted by all of this eats a flying knee and the bro Derek as riddle pins him in 1329 randy hits aj with an rko and rk bro pose in the ring to close the show but i i thought this was the the best match on the show Ed. these two had their you know, they've got their match down pat, and it's a, it's a very good match every time out. Good match, yeah. I mean, I feel like I've seen it pretty often. That it's, You will see it many more times. It, it was hard to be interested so much in it, but they definitely got going. And um, if you're here to watch good wrestling, regardless of interest or freshness or story, then you would probably enjoy this. Crowd reacted really well to Riddle. They reacted really well to Orton attacking Omos with the sco- scooter. I'm just so sick of these rematches, though. Well, for Raw following SummerSlam, some new directions. Um, I can't say this was the most inspiring show, but it was a show that I at least took 
there was some enjoyment. There were different parts that varying degrees. Listen, <laughs> this is the in, ultimate everybody. curve I am grading on. Okay. Yeah. Cut out three hours of your day for some enjoyment. Um, you, you know, by by the time we got to, uh, um, you know, Riddle and Orton out there, I was thinking to myself, you know what? Imagine what hour four would look like. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, if you're an investor, yeah, it would look great. Um, but if you're just watching the show for entertainment purposes, I mean, yeah. I, I get a I segment of we, Moist we TV with Nick Khan, who's out here to explain why the show's going till midnight now. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it, it's it was raw, everybody. You know, it, it was three hours of, I think, for the most part, pretty skippable stuff. Um, something to have on in the background if you're doing chores, I suppose. Uh, what was a must-see segment here? What would you even recommend off coming off of this show? I like the main event. Um, I wouldn't recommend it though. It's like you've seen it. No, if you've no, seen I wouldn't it before, go that far. Seen it. You know, you know what I think is going to like this should be a show that should have like a decent sized audience. It should be one of the better audiences of the year coming off SummerSlam. But I would counter that with by the end of that first segment, number one, like maybe there was some curiosity, like number one, Becky Lynch was technically a raw star. Was Becky going to be on the show? You realize quickly, no Becky, obviously no Brock and even no Goldberg. And that was established right off the top that if you watch SummerSlam, all your major questions you weren't seeing any of the big stars from SummerSlam on this show. I mean, aside from like Lashley was your most prominent star coming out of SummerSlam. The rest was, you know, it was your raw crew. And now it's like, that's you build a show around a lot of performers that aren't going to be around. Um, that's now it's kind of the, the fallback from that. I mean, and raw really is going to feel it a lot more than SmackDown. It really does feel like it is the B show of the time. And, um, uh, you know, they're, they're probably going to write that out for the duration of these TV contracts. I will say, you know, Miz and Morrison breaking up, I think that was pretty significant, that if you actually care, you'll probably want to watch that. Um, the handling I, of Logan Paul, I think that's more interesting. Like, you know, clear segments with Corbin and Viking Raiders to lead you in a direction that the audience here in San Diego was not following. Right, right. I think they did a pretty good job with Damien Priest, you know, establishing him as like one of the featured guys coming off of this show for this San Diego market. And uh, Karrion Cross's new suspenders and mask. Oh, boy. Check that out. And some great witty water dialogue. Yes, as always. Yes. The things everyone seeks, you know, that was something Bill Watts never really was able to achieve. Yeah. Let's read some feedback. On a scale of 1 to 10, this show got a 10. Minus, wow. <laughs> minus 6.83. Uh, got a 3.17, folks. Yeah, it's a bit of a rough rating. And, um, well, okay. Yeah, it deserves it. I can't, I can't say it deserved more than that. Aaron writes, what in the Mortal Kombat hell was cross-wearing? That got me to tap out. John and Way, you two are the bravest souls putting up with this nonsense each week. WWE is a solid thumbs down. Uh, you know, we should get like investors to review the shows. Oh my like, God. <laughs> I mean, like Nick Khan, I think, you know, has a very uh, clear air of optimism when he's targeting investors. And so like, what would investors feedback be like? 
three hours worth of content, you know, like banked it into the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the quarterly report. We sold this much merch. Uh, we made this much in the, uh, okay, for, first of all, like I would say 98% of those analysts on the call would never make it through an episode of this. There, there's a few, like yeah. you can see, like there are some on there that do follow Dude, the product. The, based wrestlers, on their questions. the wrestlers don't watch this show. Like, I mean, we we hear from uh, Arya Davari and, like, uh, Murphy that, like, they haven't seen an episode of Raw in, like, months, dude. And I, I'm willing to bet that is that extends to most of the, much of the roster. I can't really say most, but I, I'm guaranteeing you most of these investors aren't watching these shows. Oh, guys, great quarter. Great quarter hour. Um, I was just hoping, could you guys give me a little bit of color on... The lack of color that you guys don't use anymore. Um, I think it's I think it's called uh, blading in your uh, in your industry. Um, perhaps as well. I, I was just looking on um, year to year on the win loss prospectus. It um, it is an interesting kind of perspective though, because like in the end, you know that is what matters to these these people. It's not with the quality of this show. Is how much money the show makes. You know how much they're they're using these these shows to promote their next things. Um, you know how much money it generated for the for the evening. It's so. I'll, I'll, I know we've we've gone long here, but this is like the one intersection point because I think a lot of times we separate WWE into the fan experience and the shareholder reality. And when you're speaking to one audience, like this is a company. Listen, they are generating more money than ever. It's an extremely profitable company at a time when in our world it seems that the the fan experience has just been very detrimental and enjoyment of the product seems at such a low point i won't say all-time historical low point but this is like it's a pretty consistently negative reaction as a whole to this product well, it and, feels like it, John, because, like, what what other period would you say? Like, But this is a period that's been going on for, like, a, a year plus, I have to say. If you're looking at the idea that uh, – okay, if you are looking at Raw and it is typically turning in 1.7, 1.8 million viewers and you were tasked, okay? USA is coming to you and saying, listen, a year from now, we want this show consistently topping – 2.1, 2.2 million. That means no hot shotting your next Raw reunion. This is a consistent average. Could they increase their audience? And how? That's the bigger question. How would they increase this? I don't think that's a very easy answer. And typically, when you look at growth periods, it's because of a giant star that breaks through. And that's where it connects to this whole discussion about talent development is... Are you putting your best strategy in place to develop those stars when from the outside looking in, it looks like you are narrowing the idea of who can be a star that how many are going to slip through the cracks that you're going to miss out on that have become that were stars in the past that these parameters are you going to miss out on that star. And that is what to me is going to grow your audience. That is what is going to combat some of this erosion that we see year after year and the argument that well the industry is changing and numbers are just going to go down it's i mean you have a competing product that is going against that narrative pretty strongly in terms of its growth in the same media ecosystem there's another analyst term that wwe is competing in and they are finding growth 
And a lot of it, it's star-driven, and we just got to see an extreme example of a star on Friday night and what a giant star means. And that star used to be your star, and now he's theirs. I believe WWE is still capable and have been capable of creating stars. You know, like we, like Drew McIntyre is an example. He wasn't a star before they decided to put put their rocket on him. I think they're a way of creating stars. When they're serious about them, they they do manage to, I think, do a pretty good job. But I think their way of creating Compare stars is CM more so... CM Punk, because this is going to be the comparison over the next six months, is CM Punk today in AEW mm-hmm. versus a very similar situation WWE had when Danielson came out of retirement in 2018 and what they were handed. Very similar situations mm-hmm. where sure. you thought this guy was gone forever and he came back and his first program was Big Cass after Mania. And by six months in, he's a heel. And he was not... This giant star. He was a star, but he was not, to me, at the level. And we're also going to see a direct comparison with Danielson outside of yeah. WWE. I mean, I can't really speak to the big cast experiment so much. Uh, my my feeling at that point was perhaps them wanting to use Brian to push cast. And, you know, clearly that didn't work out so much. But I, I think WWE's way of creating new stars is by featuring them, giving them main events, you know, perhaps putting the, the, the belt on them just giving them tv time and over time you eventually get a roman reigns so that they can take on a john cena and have that be a um you know a, a main event SummerSlam headlining stadium headlining type of match but that takes a lot of time and you're wasting a lot of resources and it's a very very slow process um i feel like you know if a network ever did ask them hey we want your average rating to be this high they're gonna go back to the same well that they have you know whenever they need to hit a big rating they're going to bring back Steve Austin you know, they're going to pay an X amount of money to make somebody a general manager or to, I don't know, lure somebody back for that small level of star power from their glory days. The, the and, two um, people that meant something for that last Legends reunion this year were Hogan and Flair. And one of those mm-hmm. is now off the board. Yeah, yeah. And even Hogan, like, I don't know how much of a difference he would make week to week. I don't even oh, know how much week of a difference he makes now. Like, at best, you're getting a one off. Like, again, this is, yeah. if you have to pull, pull up your average, this is not just a one-week aberration. Mm-hmm. The, the long term of getting your numbers up there, like, I, I don't know what, what, what strategy is the network, they impl- Is the network going to say that, though? Like, because, I mean, they are winning their nights. You know, I, they, I, they no, have to- no, that's not, it's not realistic. It's more just a hypothetical exercise of if they had to be faced with the pressure of getting their numbers up. They are the number one show on cable on Monday mm-hmm. nights, but... Like, this is going to be a very interesting fall. When they're going against football and AEW is hitting this stride, like, I don't think the gulf between those two is going to be as large uh, as as people think. Like, it's going to be a very interesting fall. And if those numbers are competitive between Wednesday and Monday, I think then you are suddenly looking at, um, hey, we're, we're paying you this amount and TNT's paying that amount and they're getting comparable. Well, my feeling is that when AEW is up for renewal, I mean, that is where you'll see the big shift. They're grossly undervalued as a company right now, and they've experienced like exponential growth, it feels like. So um, I don't know if that would... And they're still not the brand. Like, they are not They are not at that... Like, they're that is Kleenex. a huge feather in WWE's cap that they can walk into any any television network, and that has a lot of weight attached to it when the letters are WWE. Like, AEW, it's like they are still on that road. Yeah, but you know, come September, it'll be really interesting, especially with the influx of uh, talent that that company is getting. Great feedback, Aaron. Thank you. 
We got a Darren for our second piece of feedback who says, I don't see how you guys can watch three hours of Raw every week. Poor Ricochet. I do enjoy Damian Priest going to SmackDown Friday. Front row seeks seats. Thanks to my wife, my first WWE event. I know they will give a better show Friday. Shouts out to Bianca Belair. Still not over how they did her. And last- Friday would be Friday would be the show I would be going to of all of them. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so too. Kate is going to finish the feedback portion off. The theme for Raw this week was sure, why not? They might as well. Rhea and Nikki is a tag team. Not like either of them will feature be featured in the title picture for a while. Break up Miz and Morrison. Raise Damian Priest and Sheamus as possible opponents for Lashley. Alexa challenging Charlotte. That's legitimately a feud we've not had before. The problem is that I don't have any confidence that any of this stuff will be successfully parlayed into interesting stories that will get me invested. At this point, I feel like the most compelling story on Raw is the destruction, humiliation of Karrion Cross. They... They've deliberately, they are deliberately trying to make this guy look as foolish as possible in the hopes that we'll feel sorry for him or something. It has to be deliberate, right? There's no way they can be that clueless as to how they're presenting him. I think Way hit it on the head. I think you might disagree with what they're doing, but I think these are all the, like, I think the idea is we are giving him all this. Like, he's destroying guys on the show, like, mm-hmm. save for the Jeff Hardy debut. He's running through guys, and I'm sure the idea is like this is taking him to the next level. This, this is, is great. We're I not love wasting this a man. mask and suspenders on nobody. This is carrying, carrying cross. Really good shit, yeah, carrying. You're supposed to be eating raw meat. You're supposed to eat in carcasses. Yeah, he loves this. Are you kidding me? This is like this is his, his dream. Remember Dean Ambrose? Like he's supposed to come out with a gas mask. Like this, this is up, totally up Vince's alley. Well, thank you everybody uh, for joining us for this this fun adventure. I didn't know how much we were going to be cramming into tonight. Like I felt on Sunday afternoon, we already have so much stuff to talk about, and thus I I messaged Way. I was like, "Hey, can I can I call you up?" And I was going to suggest like we do should we should we do a show tonight because there's so much stuff to get through. But I was like, I can't do a show tonight. I'm exhausted. I was just uh, after after this weekend. I was like, I can't. I need I need a night off. So, you got an extra lengthy show tonight. I think we we covered a lot of stuff tonight. Yeah, yeah. I and I think uh, a well deserved break for you tomorrow, John. Uh, but I am looking forward certainly to be talking about GCW on Rewind Away with executive producer John Pine, who will have plenty to say, I'm sure, about Nick Gage, uh, Ricky Shane Page. Uh, and several others who feature in the GCW promotion. So that'll be on our Post Wrestling Cafe Patreon feed. And as well, if you subscribe, of course, you get access to Rewind a Smackdown slash Rampage every single Friday. And MCU later this week. Yeah, tons of bonus stuff. And I look forward to hearing... Do you want to give us like a, a, a teaser way of the reaction you had? Did you know... Was it known the Spider-Man trailer was dropping or was it totally out of the blue? It was known, I would say, or it was heavily rumored probably for the past, over the weekend, um, because there's this thing called CinemaCon that's happening right now that Sony was uh, to, you know, feature a big presentation for. And so I think it was heavily rumored that it was happening. Have you had a chance to watch it yet? I watched it a few times, actually, during Raw. Oh, okay. I would like to know your thoughts, actually. So I watched it. Then I saw everyone's reaction to it, and I had to understand what was going on in the, in this whole thing. And then I started watching it. I was like freezing on the frames to see all of the relevant people. And I saw everyone going nuts for the end. Uh, 
I, I, I do not equate uh, Alfred Molina as like, okay, I know this is somebody, but I don't know why it's so significant. Did, did you not wa- Did you not watch the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man? Um, he was in the second one? Yes. Uh, I would have seen it, yes, but it's... It's been quite a while, so, you know, like, I it, mean... It, but, it, that's as, not going to have, like, a, a reference to me that is going to... I'm going to see this guy and be like, oh my god, oh my god. Yeah, it's the equivalent of, of... I'm trying to think of a comparison, but it would be like, you know... Man, I'm trying to think, like, in wrestling what terms what it would be. It'd be like, like you know, like, Arn and Flair meeting up again. Or Tully showing up, like, you know, in an in interaction between... Like, I, I appreciate the, the significance, especially that they're going to, like... You know, we had the like the Jameson return with like the actor and the fact that they're yep. doing this again. I think that's super cool that they're going to, you know, kind of like another version of the Spider-Man films as well. Like, I totally get that that's uh, really interesting, but it's um, what was it? I guess it was pretty heavily known. Doctor Strange would be part of this, wasn't it? I, You know, I don't again, t- like to me, you're the barometer of how much people know, because like people oh, I, like I, I me- know I knew nothing. I knew nothing about this other than there was a Spider-Man movie coming. Well, then awesome. Then it was like, to me, it was a well-kept secret. But I mean, to the people that do follow this stuff every single day, like myself, I mean, there were toys released already with like Doctor Strange in the same set as, as Spider-Man. So like, I I, kinda, I I feel like I already know like a good deal of what this movie is about. But nonetheless, seeing it in action and having confirmation of it, because Marvel has been exactly like, you know, AEW and Tony Khan throughout this whole CM Punk thing, which is why like, it's so interesting to compare the two. It like... These reports are out there. These set photos are out there of exactly who is in this movie. Even Alfred Molina was like pretty bad at keeping a secret, you know, in in in, in interviews. So everybody knew that he was going to be in this movie, and more people are going to be in this movie. But um, Kevin Feige like <laughs> poker faced everything, you know. As much as people knew, he did not announce it, and evidently it doesn't matter. But because because by the end, like. I, I kind of like it. I kind of like studios to like, you know, keep kayfabe and not really reveal all their cards because um, there is that big pop, big that big element of surprise because this trailer was like, I would say probably the most anticipated trailer of the year. You know, like they delayed this thing for a long, long time. We've seen trailers for all the other Marvel films set to release this year, except for this one. So they kept it up until now. And it really, it's Sony's call and not, not really Marvel's for this one, but I'm so excited for it. Number Concept one, because- looks really cool. Like you could say like, Hey, can you just turn the time back so that no one knows? It's like on the surface, it's like, oh, what a cop out to the big cliffhanger. But it's like, who could possibly? They've opened up so many cool things that they're going to do this. Like just a little thing that like everyone will no longer know your Spider-Man, including MJ. I was like, that's really cool right there. Um, yeah, it actually plays to me off of um, like some inspiration off of a, a comic storyline called uh, from Spider-Man called One More Day. So I'm seriously, serious, to, like curious to see how they play into all that. Um, I mean, the multiversal concept of it, you know, John, from watching Loki and, and all the other shows, that's going to be the main theme of this phase in the MCU. So how this ties into Scarlet Witch how, or, or, or uh, WandaVision, I mean, how it ties into Loki, how it ties into Doctor Strange, the movie itself, mm-hmm. um, will all be really interesting things to see how they fit those puzzle pieces together. And Tobey Maguire is rumored for this, isn't he? That is the rumor. Well, that would be interesting. I look forward to it. I, I, I thought it was a very cool trailer. I watched it like three times tonight. That's awesome. Cool. Are you going to see? Well, first of all, John, are, I, I hope you can be part of the Shang-Chi review. Are you making plans to watch that in the theaters? It comes out when? Next month? September something? 
it comes out the weekend before All Out. Or is it oh, the weekend that's, of? That's this weekend. Sorry, it is the weekend of All Out, actually. Oh, it comes I will not out be going on, that weekend. Do we have to talk about third. that weekend? I don't know what we're doing that weekend. There's a lot going yeah, on. Yeah, there's, there's Wrestle Grand Slam. Um, and yeah, we will talk about it, I'm sure. But I actually right. got my tickets. It's, it comes out next week. Jeez, wow. Damn. I'm probably it's not going to go, go see that one. I, I, will, I will go see Spider-Man. All right. Right before cool. Christmas. Hopefully we're allowed to buy then. Oh God. You know? Yeah. Way to uh so way to dampen the mood as we uh finish off the tonight's episode, the evaporation of Moist TV. Get your vaccines, everybody, so we can see Spider Man by Christmas. Okay. Yeah, don't please don't don't delay any longer. All right. It's FDA approved now. Right? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. That's it for us, everyone. We've talked for way too long. Goodbye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.